I think I was on tape, whatever you say now, it's, the world will hear you. Okay. I'd like to share with you, Parsha told us, excuse me. Um, I'd like to share with you uh, an insight Parsha told us, because Parsha told us one of my favorite Parshas, it's filled with questions that are so obvious that I'm sure all of you have asked so many times, and filled with total misperception. Now, also with me last year, we probably already discussed some of those ideas um, last year, how to understand the brachos and the whole transaction, so was fooled, or was he not fooled, etc. We say, hopefully, you remember that we put a little bit of a perspective on that. But today, I want to start from motivations behind it. Let's examine, let's examine two things in the parsha that are both very, very difficult to understand. One is obviously Yaakov getting the brachos, and the challenge for understanding Yaakov getting the brachos in this parsha. Is the, is the idea that why is it so difficult for him? Why does he have to struggle? In other words, Naniyach, we understand all that, which really lends itself to the second question. The second question is, why did Yitzhak like Esau? Why? What, okay, now, so the six-year-old selves is, of course, saying, what do you mean, why do you like him? Because he hunted for him, the Torah says why. Also says, because he tied the bed. Uh, the foundation of Kalisol rests on Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. The, entire, the entirety of our Rosh Hashanah Davni rests on the godless and the tzidkus of Yitzhak. And he was fooled by Esau? Granted, when we're close, somebody that we're close to, it's much harder to see him objectively, etc. We're not talking about a simple person. And by the way, it's not like Esau was like your garden variety Russia. Right? We're not talking like a guy, right? So I know that they like to tell you, yeah, but look at his kibbutz, was so outstanding, and learned so many lessons from it. But the reality is, he was a terrible, terrible Russian. He was a horrible person. So how is Yitzchak fooled? What does it mean that Yitzchak didn't understand who he was? And by the way, it's not like his wife wasn't there sitting there telling him, look, you know, Yaakov's the one. He's real. This is what it is. What? So, I did put out to you an idea last year, a little bit that what Yitzhak was looking for was a balance between the two. But even in understanding the balance, as I need to understand what was it that Yitzhak really thought that he was seeing um, that would allow uh, Esau to be uh, to be so so uh, blatantly uh, dominant and. So, so, so much, such a big part of what the future cause is. That's that. That's the, the, those two questions certainly need to be answered and need to be dealt with. Um,
There's another issue, of course, in, um, there's another issue, which I, I, I just sort of uh, touched on sort of peripherally, but we need to ask it straight out as, a, as, a, as an important question that needs to be addressed here in the Parsha of, the, of these brachos, and that is, <clears throat> what does it mean that Yitzchak was so enamored of the beat that Esau was bringing. What does it mean by Yehav Yitzvah as Esau Kitzayid Befit? One with the first challenge, not the second challenge. Second challenge, actually, okay, maybe a little bit of a ah, ah, Maybe there's the beginning of an understanding or something. But on the simplest level, on the Pashat Chat level, Kitzayid Befit, that's, that was important to Yitzvah. <laughs> Try to understand who we're talking about. We're talking about Chazal tell us, is That means the ashes of Yitzhak are in, are in front of the Rebbe Hashem always. It's Yitzhak was brought as a living carbon. He was a living sacrifice to Hashem. His entire being was given over to Rebbe Hashem. The fact that he was blind is in and of itself an indication of his, the level of his disconnection from this world. The whole concept of being blind goes beyond just physical blindness, but that, that he simply was removed from what this world has to offer. So Kitsayat Befit, that makes sense. And just continuing on that line of thought, just for a moment, Yaakov goes in to steal the brothers, right? Or, or let's put it in, in quotation marks, right? Goes in to steal the brothers. And he takes with him two Gideyeh takes with him these two kid goats. That Yitzhak has asked Esau specifically go out into the field, hunt for me, and bring me what really makes me happy, transforms me, and allows me to be able to give you brothers. What is that? I'm assuming that it has a specific taste to it. It's venison, it's a taste of deer. It's a different taste, a different time. If Yaakov's so worried about getting caught in this elaborate plot that his mother, yes, etc., whatever we said last year, how we were Masbir, why Yaakov did it, but he's so worried about getting caught. Why wasn't he worried that the taste of the food would give him away? We're talking about a blind man, right? We spoke about this last year in terms of hearing that person's other senses are sharpened even more when you're deprived of, the, of certain things. If you can't see then you rely on your hearing. If you can't see, you rely on your sense of taste. Certainly, Yaakov, you would expect that Yitzhak was going to be extremely sensitive to what he was eating. Why wasn't Yaakov worried about that? Why didn't that bother him? Okay. Zayar says that matzah minas that one, usually what happens is we say in English, birds of the feather flock together. People who are of similar natures are drawn towards one another in a certain way. They're bonded. They bond in a certain They have a unique sense of communication and the ability to, under, to hear or see one another. So Yitzchak was drawn to Esau because Esau manifested the Mida character trait of Guru of strength, of, of ability to conquer, of conquest. 
And that, as you know, of course, is Yitzhak's Midah. So Yitzhak is drawn, the Zara says, to Esau because he's a Gibor. Now that is a very puzzling thing. Yes, we can relate to the idea that Yitzhak is a Gibor, and we can even relate to the idea that Esau is a Gibor. But if you had to quantify them, if you had to look at them, these are two very different kinds of gvura. The gvura of Yitzchak is strength, of commitment, of ideals, of knowing what he wants to do, and fighting for those ideals. Versus Esau's gvura is, so he was a strong guy. He knew how to bop people over the head with a stick, right? He could, he could, out, he could out shoot, outrun, out sword fight, whatever it was, where, uh, people around him. That makes that that's what they have in common. What what does that mean? And why is that such a what, what was the Hashimus? What was the importance of that Midah to Yitzchak that he felt the need to give Asaph the brachos because of that? And what did he see in Yaakov that Yaakov was lacking that he didn't want to give him the brachos because of that? That it says Yaakov is Ishtam Yoshirahon. And he doesn't have that character trait. He doesn't have what does he what's he missing? There is a concept in the Gemara that says like this: when you have certain types of legal situations that are unresolved, can't be resolved, that are difficult to figure out. Warabasha says that Bezdin has in their toolkit something called a, a, a methodology is called Kol de Olim Gavar. Kol de Olim Gavar. Whoever is stronger, he wins. Whoever is the more powerful one, he wins. And he wins the court case. And legally, it belongs to him. You have two people that are, are debating, wrestling, um, so to speak, or, you know, quote, in quotation marks, wrestling. You know, fighting over a piece of land, and there's no clear proof one way or the other. This is the Gemara. What's the resolution? What should Bezin do? Step back and let them fight it out. And whoever wins, may the best man win. Really? That's justice? That's, that's how it goes? If I got bigger muscles than you, so now, now I win and you lose? What's the chance? How, could, how, how does that, what, what kind of tool is that? How, how are we allowing Bezdin to utilize that? So the rush, one of you showing them over there, Russian of the rush, because it's important, right? The rush there says like this, he says it tells us a fundamental so fundamental principle of human nature, we have to understand, which gives us, so it gives us the beginnings of an insight into what we really mean when we talk about it. The rush says like this, Somebody who knows that I'm right. I know that I'm telling the truth. I know that I'm more honest. I can't prove it. I don't have Adam, whatever. It didn't work out for me to have Adam. I didn't have a Chazak. I didn't have the, the possibility of being on the land for three years. I know I'm right. Misha Hadin that person is going to have the tenacity not to give up. They're going to keep fighting no matter what. Because I know I'm right. I know that what I'm saying is true. I know I'm correct. 
יויסר ממה שיימסר האחר לגזור. Somebody who's coming to cheat, to lie, to tell something a little bit dishonest, they're not going to be willing to fight so much. They're not going to be willing to argue the, the matter through. They're not willing to, in a way, think about it. It's a little bit different, but in, in a way, that's really what Shlomo Malachim in understanding his famous case. Remember the famous case where the two, two ladies come to him, each one says the baby's mine, this one says the baby's mine. What does Shlomo Malachim say? Bring a sword, cut the baby in two, we'll give you half of them to you and half of them to you. One of them says yes, and one says no. What's going on? What does that mean? Obviously, right? I mean, half a baby, who wants half a baby? What, what, so the, the, the idea is, the Shlomo wanted to see who really cares about this child? Who really has concern? Who knows that the din is on their side? And therefore, they're willing to put themselves out to be most enough regardless of what happened. The Mida of Gvura is that idea. Called the Olim Gavar. Gavar, he's the keyboard. He's going to be the stronger one. He's going to express Gvura. If you have two inanimate objects, one is harder than the other. You have, uh, right? you have two types of stone, and you rub them together. The harder one will always make a mark on the soft one. The hard one will always rub away with the other, right? Different gradations of, you take limestone and diamonds and you rub them together. The diamond is harder than the limestone. It's going to make a mark on whatever. Regardless, no, every single time you do, do that. But that measure of strength, so to speak, of hardness, of ability, is not true when it comes to living beings, when it comes to living creatures, you have in the animal kingdom, right? Polar bears, male polar bears outweigh female polar bears by almost half a ton. They're much larger, much bigger, much more powerful. But if a male polar bear comes to eat the cubs of a female polar bear, it's a harsh reality that you live in Antarctica, you live in, live in the Arctic Circle, food doesn't come too easily, the mother will defend to the death her cubs, and more often than not will be victorious. How? I, the, 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 the male is bigger, stronger, more powerful, but the mother has a motivation. She has, she has her cubs that she wants to defend. You've all heard stories of the mother whose car turns over, right? And in an act of superhuman strength, she's able to lift up something that she could never even get close to lifting up without that. Yeah, adrenaline rush, whatever it is, right? The point is, the koach of gvura is that inner strength, that inner desire, that inner willpower to overcome no matter what, to fight against something, to make something happen, even when it seems impossible. That's the koach of Gvura. We talk about a We're talking about the ability for one thing to overcome others. One when you when you take the Weinbergs, that's all used to say. There are no friends like the friends that are formed when your life is at risk, right? You know, like the, the, the saying the saying, no atheists in the fossils, right? But more than just that is people who got together under life-threatening circumstances. 
in situations where they had to fight against something in order to survive, the bond that they make is different than anybody else has. Because when you have two things that are struggling against one another and one has to overcome the other, that's an expression of the inner, it's an expression of the inner chius, of the life force of what you are is being brought to the fore, is being brought out. We're at that point more alive than you ever are at any other time. And the moment when you have to not just passively continue your life, but you actually have to fight for your life. It's just something that's trying to extinguish it, and you're expressing it in a, in a greatest sense. You're more alive than, than you are at any other time. And therefore, a bond that you make at that time, fellow soldiers, for instance, are going to be stronger bonds. There's going to be a stronger connection between those people than there was between anybody else. The, the reality of his, of life of a life force is brought out through the Mida of the world. That's the Mida that Yitzchak was looking for. To learn Torah, to be to be to be to to have a relationship with Rebunshal, that can't be done passively. No. Somebody once asked, a tremendous talk, a great talk, somebody once asked him, he said, if we have the MS on our side, talking about the arguments that you have between, between uh, certain movements within Judaism, or even in the world, if we have the truth on our side, how come we're not winning? How come there's not more of us than there is of anyone else? Why doesn't the world see it our way? Just like we said before, called the Olin Gavar. If I know I'm right, I'm for sure going to win. And the Chacham ends him with like a cute turn of phrase. Usually it sounds better in Yiddish, but the turn of phrase works in English too. He said, we're fighting for Emes with the Kochos of Sheker. And they're fighting for Sheker with the Kochos of Emes. Meaning, what that means is, we're putting forward, yeah, we're going ahead, we're doing our thing, you know, we know we're doing the right thing, so we just put our heads down and we go ahead and we go plod ahead one day, one day at a time, we do whatever we do. They're fighting for the kochus of Shekhar, the things that they believe in, with a koch of Emes, with a fire, with a, with, with a, with a, this is burning in them. It's a fascinating thing, you look at the conservative movement. I don't know I you look at the conservative movements, right? And you see, what you see is, in the initial stages of the development of the conservative movement, all the history of the conservative movement, initially what they thought they were doing, they were saving Judaism. Orthodoxy was dead. The possibility of living an orthodox lifestyle in the new world, in the modern era, impossible. Reform was going off the cliff, off the deep end. So they came up with a conservative type of Judaism, something that would save, even in their very name, they're saying, where the, they were a conservative re reformation of Judaism. Instead of going all the way and trying to turn everything upside down on its head, they were conservatively attempting to say that. If you talk to them today, they will deny that to the alt, they, they will not, that is not simply not the truth thing. They, as, as unfortunately all people do, Right? They will rewrite history to say that, no, this is the real Yiddishkeit. We were never trying to save anything. We were never trying to reform something just moderately. This is what real Judaism is supposed to look like. They're fighting for the kochus of Sheker 
They're fighting for Shekel with Kokos of Emmets. They, they, they passionately believe in what they do. We also have to passionately believe. We have, to be, we, have to, we have to exert ourselves to the utmost to make it happen. Otherwise, what is it going to be? Torah itself can't stand on, on simply going from day to day to believing that, that, that it can just exist as it is. In Esau, what, what Yitzchak saw in Esau was this. Yitzchak was a hunter. I mean, excuse me, Aesop was a hunter. What does a hunter have to do? A hunter has to overcome the chiyos, the life force of another creature in order to create the food that he has, to create the food that he wants. He has to go ahead and the difference, now the Torah says, control tells other Rishon that you should go out into the world Right? And you should be kaibish. You have to conquer all the animals of the world. You have to create a sense in the world of Adam being the dominant creature. Of this is what we are. It's not just that we're more intelligent and therefore we simply override everything else. We have to manifest our, right? You have to go out into the world, conquer it, the kivshu. You have to be kaibish the world. Behemoth. Animals are divided into two parts, domesticated and wild animals. Lashon HaKodesh, a behemoth is called, a, a, a domesticated animal is called a behemoth. Behemoth means ba-ma. What, what is in it? What is it? It's a walking piece of meat. That's all. It's just a piece of meat with legs. It's standing there passively waiting for you to shaft it. That's what, it, it doesn't have a, doesn't have a life force to its own. A wild animal is called a chaya, which means it has, they are called chayos hasadeh. They have their own life force that you have to overcome. When Yitzchak tells Esau, go out and hunt for me, what's he looking for? He's looking to see, are you going to exert yourself? Are you going to push yourself? Are you going to utilize your inner gvura? to overcome some other creature in order to create this matzav of kibbutz. How are you going to manifest what you are into something, into something else in the world? When Yaakov goes ahead and he manifests or he puts forth a sheker, puts forth something that goes totally against the grain of who he is, that's the ultimate expression of the world. When we really, the clue to what we said in what wasn't that Yitzchak tasted in Esau's food? It wasn't the taste of a different kind of meat. Yitzchak's above the physical manifestation of our foods. Yitzchak's using food to connect to the, well, the kavanos, the, 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 the reality of what goes into the preparation of the food. That's what Yitzchak tastes. He tells Esau, go take your bow, go take your sword, go take your knife, go out and get prepare food for me. Go be Kovish, go utilize the Mida of Kavura and bring that food to me in that with that expression. And then I'm going to give you the brachas because that's the manifestation of what Yitzhak sees in Esau as the necessary part to make that a part of himself. When Yaakov goes ahead and prepares those two things, and he's perpetrating 
a sheker. He's perpetrating a falsehood. He's perpetrating something that goes against his very nature. He has to fight his whole inner being in order to be able to covish himself to go ahead and do this. Yitzhak's tom, the tom that Yitzhak has in what what uh, uh, in what Yaakov fed him is the tom of that ruler. And I heard last night an incredible deal from Rabbi, from Rabbi Gibber in the Pusik, where the Pusik app says this clearly. It's like so, it's right in front of you. It's, it's unbelievable. When Yaakov goes out and Yaisab comes in, what does Yaakov Yitzhak say? Who was the one who brought the hunted food to me until now? What, was he fooled by the taste? He, the venison, the the and the and the and the and the and the, uh, and the venison that Asa brought him tasted the same. No, what's tzad tzad? What's the what's the what's the deeper meaning of the words tzad tzad of hunting something? It's who's the one who brought me this food that already had within it an expression of gvura, an expression of overcoming, of something of, of something that's deep, a deeper, that deeper element. Who already expressed that gvura? The brachas should go to him. What Yitzhak saw was lacking in Yaakov. And by the way, in case you think that Yitzhak was wrong, Somehow he had missed something that Yaakov had, and yet he needed to, he, he needed to have it. You see from the whole Misa of the Bukhara, of the son of the Bukhara earlier in the Parsha, that's what's really going on over there. Tzadok says, it's phenomenal, it's unbelievable. says, what was going on that Yaakov is buying the Bukhara from Esau? Since when is a Bukhara something that you sell? How do you sell a Bukhara? Isn't a Bukhara a Matthias? Either you're the firstborn or you're not the firstborn. What, what, was, what was it that Yaakov was trying to be Kona, was trying to acquire? What was he trying? What was the transfer that was taking place between Esau and Yaakov in that, in that, in that instance? Says that he wasn't buying the Bukhara. Yaakov, what Yaakov wanted was to learn. Yitzchak, Esau's internal midah of expressing himself no matter what, of fighting through things that when there's obstacles in the way, you go out and you're in it anyway. What does Esau say? Esau says to Yaakov, when he comes into, when he comes into him, he says he, uh, um, that, I, that I was out hunting. I'm going to die. I pushed myself to the point of death. I pushed myself to the point where my chiyos can't continue. I pushed myself to the limits of what I am. That's, that's how I express myself. That's how I do the things that I want to do. That's the meter, what's, what's really going on in that boiling pot of lentils is not about a transfer simply of some sort of rights, it's a transfer of midos. Of, it's a transfer of, let me see, show me how it is that you do the things that you do. Be melamed, this tchunas hanefesh, this inner di- dimension of yourself, so that I too can have it. Because until this point, Yaakov is described as Ishtam Yoshevahalim, a very passive person. And Esav is the Ishatzad, is the, is the hunter who goes out into the field, the person who expresses himself by overcoming everything that's around him. 
And in the in the Masa of the Bukhara, that's exactly what Yaakov is looking to find to learn from Asa, the Mida of Gvura. Now, the difference between Yaakov and Asa is this. The Mida of Gvura can be expressed in two ways. The Gvura can be expressed, like any Mida can be expressed. No Mida is inherently bad, good or bad. It's all a question of how do you utilize that Mida. Avram Avinu was Miyas in the world on a Mida of Chesed. That was the outer core. That's the outer expression of what Kalim so really is. That's the, and that's who they really are. The inner dimension of that is how do you manifest that chesed? It requires gvura to bring that chesed out to make sure that you're doing it no matter what, no matter what challenges come up. No matter how difficult it is, you're fighting through it to do it anyway. Because only the things that you fight for are actually worth anything. Yeah, Aesop's manifestation of manifestation of Gvura is raw gvura, raw strength, just simply there to drive his base desires forward, to eat more, to be involved in other things that are negative, that are not positive. It's simply an outer expression of Gvura, and it's clear that Yitzhak at no time thought that Aesop was going to be Kali. So Aesop, he thought that it was going to be some sort of a synthesis of Yaakov and Esau. Because he felt that Yaakov was lacking the gvura, he was lacking the drive, he was lacking the cost of overcoming everything, and he was. And the Torah describes him as lacking that, as he said, Yaakov Ishtam Yashem he's an Ishtam, he says that he's, he has a tmimus to him. He doesn't push forward and, and earn those things. But Yaakov also recognizes in himself that lack. And he at the transfer, the transaction of the Bechaira was, I'm willing, what is the Bechaira all about? Is that, there, that a person could be Yaakov when Esau asks Yaakov, what's the Bechaira all about? He says, well, you have to serve in the Beis HaMikdash, and there's Tuma, and there's Tyra, and there's Surah Kares, and there's Misa. And Esau says, why don't you that Bechaira? What do I need that for? That doesn't earn me anything here and now. I need immediate satiation of my needs and my desires, and I fight for that for that need and desire. But I'm not fighting for something for which there's some sort of a abstract gain. I'm not willing to do that. So Yaakov says, okay, so transfer to me this koach that you have of fighting for things, and I'll fight for those things. Because I'll make it worthwhile for myself. And that's the gvura, that's the tzadzai, that's Mizia Ezer, who was the one who's tzadzai, that's the tzedah that he expresses when he comes into Yitzchak. He expresses a whole new dimension of his personality that Yaakov Avinu didn't see before. Really, if you want, or you see it, and when he says, Hakol, kol Yaakov, by Yedayim right? The, the call is the call of Yaakov, yes. But the Yedayim, how you carry things out in this world, how you make things happen? That's the Yedei Esav. That's the that's the Gvura. The Gvura of Esav is still here, and that's still manifest, and that's still getting, that's still going, that, that's not changing. That's that's the difference between them. That that sense, that need, that drive to move things forward. That's what Yaakov was kind of from Esav with the Bechayra. That's what Yaakov was expressing to Yitzchak. When he came in to steal the brachos, because it couldn't have happened any other way, because he had to show Yitzchak that the Midah Gvura was manifest 
that he that he that he uh, absorbed that as a part of his own personality, that he made that a part of who he really was, a part of what he really had had become. Without that, without that level of understanding, so then then he he would he was not shy of to being able to express the chesed of Abraham Avinu, and he gets up himself. You find the same idea. It's up. You want to, it's just to just to bring out yet another difficult parsha, another another difficult idea that's expressed in this parsha that's not explained clearly. That you probably maybe either you stopped on it and you wondered what it was talking about, or you just glossed right over it. It's just a few seconds. There's a very interesting incident that the Torah referred uh, that the Torah feels necessary and relevant to us for us to know. In, in the lifetime of, of Yitzhak. We don't know a whole lot about Yitzhak. We don't hear a whole lot of things, many incidents that happened to Yitzhak, right? But we know about Akedah Yitzhak, which is pr- pr- primarily, yeah, Yitzhak is pretty much passive in that, right? Then we have Kaisara, where we have Misa Sara, where Yitzhak somehow fades back into the background again when, when Sara's getting, being buried. And then we have the shift between, between, uh, 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 Rivka and Yitzhak again. Yitzhak seems to be very passive in all that. He's not really an active participant, other than coming from Berlachayri and and Rivka sees him and, and then he brings him into his mother's tent. That's all. That's all it tells us. And then we have Parshas. The beginning of Parshas told us we have Yitzhak Avinu davening. We see the Kayach of Tefillah, etc. Okay, very nice. And other than that, there's only one. Other than the brachos, this incident that we just talked about, and we just or Mavar, we just clarify what it is. There's only one other incident the Torah tells us. Well, there are two, excuse me. No, there are two other incidents that the Torah tells us about Yitzchak. One is his, is his interaction with Avimelech and the whole situation with telling him the, the whole re- repetition of the situation that we had with Avram Avinu of telling him that Rivka is his, is his sister. And one other very, very small incident that you might have wondered, or I hope you wondered, what, why does the Torah have to tell us to? And that is, the Torah tells us that all the wells that Abraham and Vino dug, Yitzhak, the, the Christian closed them up, right? And Yitzhak had to go and redig them. It says, right, the Apostle says, Abraham <laughs> Right? They, all the wells that Avraham Avinu dug have been filled up with dirt by the Plishtim. And Yitzhak goes and he starts digging by Yachbaris, the Eros Hamayim, Asher by Yistimum Plishtim. Right? All the wells that have been dug in the days of Avraham Avinu, Yitzhak feels the need to go dig them up. What's, what's the shot in digging wells? What's, what's digging wells? What is that talking about? Why is that significant to us? But the truth is, that digging of the wells is the gvura of Yitzchak. Avraham Avinu digging a well, but digging a well is the ultimate expression of chesed. What is a well? Well means you do you dig up, you dig into the ground, you create a place where the artesian water comes flowing up to the surface, and everybody gets to be nano, gets to benefit from it, gets to drink from it. You are you are providing for people despite the fact you're not even there. You're giving people life, the life-giving waters, especially in hot arid countries, as we know there's much of the Middle East. You're providing them 
with the ultimate life source. That's the ultimate expression of chesed. That's what a be'er is. It's an expression of chesed. What happened? Come along the plishtim, and they close up the be'eras. What kind of mishadas? Who closes a be'er? Who, who fills in a, a well with, with the dirt? Why would you do such a thing? The answer is, the plishtim stand for everything that is connected chesed. Everything that's against chesed. Against chesed. When it says that Yitzchak goes and he digs up those wells against the Pushtim, what's he doing? He's utilizing his Mida of Gvura, his Mida of fighting against other things that other forces in the world that are negative, that say self-preservation is the most important thing. You have to look after yourself. You can't worry about other people. You have to get you have to get yourself ahead. Yitzchak comes along and he says, no, that's not the way to do it. You have to fight for what you believe in. You have to fight for the chesed of Abraham. I mean, you have to struggle against the pushdom. You have to struggle against those that put out a message that is self-absorbent and only that you only care about yourself. You have to express yourself with gvura. Yitzchak's gvura is Avraham Aminu's chesed is the maldush, is the clothing, is the outer expression of the Eid that is held up by the inner dimension of Yitzchak Aminu's chesed. Difference between the gvura of Yitzhak and the gvura of Esav is Esav's gvura is just raw power. It's just there for the purpose of utilizing power. And it comes completely self-absorbed. It becomes something that gets contained only in expressing his dominance over everything that's around him. Yitzhak's gvura is cloaked in chesed. The whole point of Yitzhak's gvura is to bring out the chesed that's around him. And that's what that's the media that he recognizes that he's gonna to have to create this symbiosis of Yitzchak's of excuse me of Asaph's Gura with Yaakov's Tzmimus, with Yaakov's Yaakov is gonna provide the framework, and yet Asaph's gonna provide the capability to make that framework possible to make that happen. That's 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 ultimately what Yitzchak saw as a reason to give both of his sons the brother, right? There was a need. That's why he felt he had twins. That's why Yaakov has to struggle to get the brachos. So yes, why is it Yaakov? The very first question he asks is, what's going on in the Torah? What, if Yaakov is supposed to get the bracha, why doesn't it just come to him? Why doesn't Rebbe just give it to him? Why does he have to go and fight? Because if you don't express gvura, then ultimately the chesed can't, can't survive. It's true, Avraham Avinu brought out the chesed in the first place. But in order for that chesed to have a kiyum, in order for that to last, because you see that the pollution by Yisrael, the world is going to try to close it in. You have to have a mita of guru. You have to have a you have to have a sense of being of where do I come from? How do I express it? How do I connect to that? That's what we have to do. That's that's the car that we're that we're looking for. A person has to a person the, the person's confronted in life with difficult situations, with challenges. But the truth of the matter is it's only the things that you're challenged and you overcome that ultimately end up being something that's worthwhile. That's the lesson of the Birkos Yitzvah. That's what, that's, what, that's what they want from us. So the, the Kitzayat Befid, the reason why Yitzvah wants Esau to hunt for something, because he wants it with an expression of Guru. And Yaakov provides that Guru, and therefore the taste is the same. And therefore, the reality of the entirety of what is, is something that tries to have a key to it that can, that can last, that can, that can be everlasting. And that's the transfer that happens in the Bukhara, as we mentioned from Rav that's exactly the transfer that happens in the Bukhara. 
And that is ultimately what we try to express is that chesed is not enough by itself. It's not enough to know what the right thing to do is. You can't fight for emes unless we use the kochos of emes. And the kochos of emes requires to overcome sheker. It's not the, the way somebody said it said the other day, somebody said to me, there can be no tov if there's no ra. The purpose of ra is in order for you to manifest tov. You have to overcome ra in order to manifest tov. Without, the, without manifesting tov, then it's not, it's not going to be, it doesn't, doesn't express itself as something that's reality. There can only be tov, there can only be good if there is evil that needs to be overcome to express that good. That's ultimate, the ultimate expression of what it is. Okay, have a great job.